Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. Monday, April 17th, Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortlaro with you. It is the extra point right here on KDUS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDUS1060.com and with the KDUS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Hope everyone had a fantastic weekend. Looking to dive into more around the NBA playoffs. The Arizona Cardinals with some trade rumors involving Buda Baker. In addition to that, some Arizona Diamondbacks will take your calls around 1030 and 1115. The number is always 602-260-1060 to join the program. We'll also head on out to the KDOS hotline and speak with Doug Haller of The Athletic about the Suns. Game one lost to the Clippers last night and a look ahead to Tuesday's contest. But as we typically do here, let's set the scene with today's poll questions and we'll start with the kdos1060.com question how would you rank the sun's panic meter after the game one loss to the clippers options are high moderate or low and we remain in a 50 50 split between high and moderate and low getting no love at all okay um you know i've even walked outside since the suns lost that game yesterday but i can sense a panic meter going in as far as uh, maricopa county is concerned well i have walked outside the sun did come up so that's that's one good thing there's a shock okay (laughs) Uh, we'll answer that question here around uh 11 30 today we'll also i have to think get doug haller's opinion on that question as well over on twitter at kdus am 1060 should the arizona cardinals trade buddha baker yes or no if you missed it uh friday afternoon at some point adam schefter had tweeted out that buddha baker is requesting a trade from the cardinals further reports from schefter in indicated that he asked for this trade back in February or to re-become the highest paid safety in the NFL. The masses so far are on the yes side of things at 68.4% of the vote, no trailing at 31.6%. Yeah, I can't be that surprised that this actually happened uh, and that he requested a trade and you know, certainly, and I think that Demonte Austin Ford and the, the Cardinals brass, they're doing the right thing by just starting over. And if you're Buda Baker, I don't think you want to be part of a start over process. And, you know, this is a team that doesn't seem like it has much of a winning future in the next year or two or longer. So I can certainly understand Baker's standpoint here. Yeah, especially where he's at, the, you know, age-wise in his career, in the prime of his career, uh, you'd want the opportunity to, and and also the way that he plays this game, he plays it with so much love and passion, and he's going full out. It looks like every single play, he'd want to have have that mentality with a team that uh, has the opportunity to win some games. Agreed. Also, who uh, if he assuming he's playing somewhere else in the future, hopefully they don't really 
need him to pass defend. Uh, you know, that's not his strength. I mean, he's tremendous at the line of scrimmage, whether it be against the run, whether it be, I think he's got kind of a, either you have a knack as a blitzer, as a, a safety, or you know, even a linebacker for that matter. He seems it's kind of a natural instinct type of thing. Either you kind of have it or you don't. And you have to have some kind of athleticism, needless to say, which he certainly has that. But also I think he's kind of a has more of a understanding and uh, more of a knack to make plays at the line of scrimmage as opposed to down the field. Another question we'll answer today around 11.30, but you can cast your vote over on Twitter at KDUS AM 1060. We'll pop on out to the KDUS hotline to talk with Doug Haller around 10.15, but let's first get into a little bit about this game from Sunday afternoon, evening. Clippers coming into Phoenix, taking game one, 115 to 110 over the Suns. The Suns were outscored 30 to 18 in the first quarter. According to Stathead, Kevin Durant, he has played in 156 career playoff games and last night was just the second time in his career that he was held scoreless in the first quarter but he wasn't held scoreless for the game 27 points 7 of 15 3 of 7 from 3 9 rebounds and 11 assists the other thing here Tory Craig, he's the one that got the start over Josh Okogie. He played D on Kawhi Leonard. He was also the one that the Clippers were in rotation getting open, so he was open a lot early and often. He ended up scoring 22 points on 9 of 12 from the floor. Plenty more to dissect, but I'll stop right there for now. Okay. Uh, I'll go back to the first quarter. Uh, you know, really, I thought the Suns got out-hustled for the whole game, but especially... In the first quarter, the Clippers seemed to be more ready for the start of the game. Uh, you know, the Clippers, while Clippers did, you know, they had, I know somebody that was made after the game that they each had the same amount of, quote, time off. But, you know, the Clippers actually had to win their last three games to get the fifth seed. And uh, so those were kind of like almost playing games or playoff games for them. And uh, so I think that they were, they were more ready to play and also thought they were better coached. And I haven't said that a whole lot about the Monty Williams teams the last three or four seasons now, but I don't think there's any question that uh, Tyrone Liu, uh, just the rotation of players, substitution patterns, and just the fact that the Clippers were ready to play and the Suns weren't, uh, I think that there, there was some, there, there's certainly some coaching involved in this game last night too. You know, it's interesting you mentioned coaching because I remember when, you know, Ty Lue got the job with LeBron back in Cleveland and really it was the narrative, oh, LeBron's running this team. Ty Lue is just kind of a a clipboard holder. And then he gets away from LeBron and you actually see he can coach. Yeah, I think that, that, uh, and I had that idea. I mean, I think a lot of people thought that was the case and I was certainly – you know, near the front of the line as far as uh, you know, my thought process then. And I actually kind of think maybe I changed my mind before, but definitely you know, the last time the Suns and the Clippers played the playoff series, you know, the Clippers obviously weren't at full strength then. And just watching Lou coach that series, uh, which went a little longer than it should have probably, uh, that's, I think that's when I really started to come around on Tyron Lou and uh, I think that most people now believe he's one of the best actual coaches in the league as far as, you know, game coaches and you know, yesterday, uh, you know, whatever they did the week before the game yesterday was better than what the Suns did. 
Let's get into Devin Booker. He scored 26 points on 10 of 19. I don't know if you'll agree with me here, so I'm going to throw it out there, see what you say. To me, this was the best that I have seen Booker play on defense. Also, he had some of the most insanely athletic plays on display in that contest, and it almost feels a shame that a defensive performance like that was wasted in a loss. Agreed. Even though I thought offensively he made some shaky decisions, and he also yes. he was also he was also put in a situation where he had to make shaky decisions. And you know whether you know I'm sure that uh, we can argue not necessarily you and I, but uh, it's I'm sure it's being argued about the value of campaign, which uh, apparently was a big deal in the Suns post game local television broadcast. I, you know, I just don't think the campaign is that good a player if he's not scoring points. I've mentioned this for three years running now. If he's not scoring, he's kind of not really worried, pretty close to worthless, quite frankly, because he's not a good defender. He's not a particularly good passer. So if he's not scoring points, and uh, I don't think the you know, scoring points really was, I know that they got outscored and only scored 110. Uh, but I really don't think that Payne's absence had much to do with the result, other than the fact that Booker, when Chris Paul was out, Booker was the point guard. And uh, obviously, Monty Williams doesn't trust his bench and the, the way that the bench performed in key moments yesterday, especially at the end of the third quarter. I can't imagine that's going to change a whole lot before Tuesday that he's going to trust his bench more in game two. Aiton, he was in a bit of foul trouble, 18 points on 8 of 16, but... You know, I think we both are in agreement that a lot of times uh, the narrative is like, oh, it's always Aiton's fault, and we don't always necessarily think that's the case here. But I think we can certainly criticize his game last night. He he just he wasn't good. Some of the the touch shots that he's uh, capable of making, and then just not getting those rebounds at the end of the ball game. Well, I, I completely disagree with the rebounding part of this. And I don't know, Eddie Johnson and Tom Chambers, you know, Tom Chambers uh, immediately basically blamed uh, Leighton for the loss uh, during the post game. And that's, you know, they've never lost a game here with DeAndre Ayton that wasn't his fault. And, uh, you know, they, they got rebounds, but he's not in Eddie Johnson said in the post game also last night on the Suns local broadcast that he's not responsible for checking out Russell Westbrook. And he's the one that got a couple of those big rebounds. Uh, and the fact that Aiton's getting trashed for not getting the rebounds at the end of the game, I think, is just garbage. I think that's crap. I think there's just people that want to pile on to Aiton, which has uh, just become a large, long line of people. And unfortunately, some of those people are get you know, a lot of a lot of play on television and so forth. And uh, you know, to me, Aiton was the least of their problems yesterday. They got out hustled. That's they got out hustled the entire game, basically start to finish. And Russell Westbrook had more loose ball, you know, you know, you know, you know captures or whatever the correct word is. He got more loose balls than anybody on the floor. Maybe everybody else combined on both teams. He got more loose balls. Yeah, he just uh, played harder. Yeah, you know what? Nine points, three of nineteen. You look at that and you say, "Yikes!" But clearly, he was a reason that they won with all of his hustle plays, eleven rebounds, including five offensive, and then knocking down some key uh, free throws to seal the game at the end. But just really being a pest and pretty much everywhere disrupting plays. I mean, how many times did he knock balls out uh, from behind Kevin Durant when maybe he didn't think he was anywhere near the play? Russell Westbrook mm -hmm. was making a play. 
the three block shots, two steals, eight assists, uh, you know, you know, ten rebounds, as you mentioned, half of those at the offensive end. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever seen a player go three for 19 and uh, make more of an impact on a winning side than he did yesterday. We'll get into more around the Phoenix Suns with Doug Howler on the other side of the break. Uh, get his perspective on this game one lost, what the panic meter is, and how to improve things for game two, which is Tuesday night here from uh, Footprint Center. I believe it is set to tip off around 7 p.m. But we'll do that with Doug Howler on the other side of the break. It is the extra point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, you can follow along with us online at KDOS. 1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Superbook Sports putting up another $100 gift certificate. So download the KDOS 1060 app, register, follow along with the parameters to uh, have your shot at $100 from Superbook Sports with the KDOS 1060 app. But Doug Haller of The Athletic is coming up next. Your morning drive just got a little better. The Dan Patrick Show is live weekday morning starting at 6 exclusively on KDUS AM 1060. Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. We pop on out to the KDOS hotline. Doug Haller of The Athletics set to join us uh, talking all things Phoenix Suns. Doug, Bob and Kayla, how are you doing today? Hello, I'm doing great. How are you guys? We're doing all right. Let's first start here with an overview question, and then we can dissect different parts of this game from last night that led to the Suns falling to the Clippers in game one, 115 to 110. Was it surprising at all to you the start that the Suns got off to? Unable to make shots, looking pretty spastic on offense, totally unsettled. A Suns team that had over a week to prep to come out, get behind early, and really have to claw their way out of that. Was that surprising? I think it was. Um, I mean, I guess if you look at the layoff uh, that they had um, leading up to it, a full week off, maybe you could explain it that way. But, you know, the Clippers were in the same boat. And, you know, this is a veteran team, the Suns are. Uh, You know, Kevin Durant, he's been through this before. Chris Paul has been through this before. Devin Booker has been through it the last three years, or this is his third year anyway. So, yeah, they weren't crisp at all. Um, You know, I just kept thinking back to, you know, (laughs) Eight games with Kevin Durant, uh, sample size is really, really small uh, against some, what I thought was shaky competition. I mean, the best teams they played were, were play-in teams, teams that made the play-in tournament. So, you know, I wasn't surprised that uh, overall this game uh, was close. I would have been surprised if you told me they would have lost the first game at home. But uh, the overall Christmas, Christmas, Christmas of the offense, yes, I expected to be much better. Yeah, I thought they got out hustled too, really from the start of the game on. And you know, Russell Westbrook, uh, you know, got seemingly every loose ball in the game and made you know for a guy that shot three for nineteen, uh, he played the greatest game ever for a guy that made three out of nineteen. <laughs> yeah, there was a lack of urgency. Monty Williams even mentioned that. And you, I mean, when you go up against Russell Westbrook, you know what he's going to bring. He's going to bring energy. And already, just to start the game, the 50-50 ball battle is already tilted toward Russell Westbrook's side. So you would think that would elevate your urgency. But, Bob, it's almost kind of like 
you know, I detected it obviously last year during the Dallas series, like kind of like we're the favorite. Um, you know, we're 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 con- we're uh, you know, we're the contenders in the West. We're the favorites in the West. We're gonna- and they kind of acted like that a little bit. I thought, um, which they shouldn't, <laughs> because obviously with the way last season ended, this season was just kind of a you know a juggling act with so many mixed parts up in the air uh, with the injuries and the changing of the lineup. I mean, they really needed to answer right off the bat and come out. And, and you're right, it, it just wasn't there. They did get out hustled. I thought they got out worked. Uh, definitely in the first half, and I think even in the fourth quarter during those important stretches, they did as well. Doug Haller of The Athletic right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. Uh, toward the end of the season, we saw Josh Kogi. He was getting that starter minute role. Last night, it went to Torrey Craig. He got the start. I know there was no campaign, so that also changed up what Monty might have been doing rotation-wise with the first guy coming off the bench being Landry Shamit. In total, though, the bench contributed 10 points, outscored 34-10. to 10. So what didn't work, or was it just the inability to knock down shots and what adjustments should Monty be making with the rotations for game two? Well, I think there are two things with that, Kayla. One, uh, when the when the Kevin Durant trade was made, I mean, the positive was obvious. You're getting one of the best uh, scorers that ever played basketball. Uh, the flip side of that was, well, with all the trades that happened, with all the, the change and the turnover in personnel, you're shortening your bench. Um, you're losing your best defender, Mikael Bridges. Uh, and even if you go back to last year, you're losing a versatile uh, even though he didn't play this year, you're losing a versatile defender in Jay Crowder. So you're going into uh, the playoffs with a shortened bench. Uh, and dating back to last year, definitely your best defender and another versatile defender who could help guard those guys. So I think we saw that play out in game one. Um, definitely the shortened bench. I mean, when you get outscored the way they did, 34-10, uh, to 10, that's obvious. Uh, and then also just maybe with the defensive versatility. I mean, to match up with Kawhi Leonard, he inserted uh, Torrey Craig into the lineup. You know, that, that has kind of a, a ripple effect. Your bench is shortened now. But I also thought the, the decision to start Torrey was a little bit puzzling because, again, you go back to the eight games, you're building chemistry, you have a set starting five, you have they didn't really settle on a set rotation off the bench, but guys are kind of settling into their roles. And then in game one of the playoffs, you kind of mix that up a little bit to me, it seemed like maybe they outsmarted themselves. Usually you see adjustments in the playoffs, but it's after, it's after game one. You know, the adjustments come once the playoffs have started. It seems to me that, you know, the, the Suns, who uh, are supposedly this favorite, made an adjustment that kind of altered uh, their starting five a little bit and also their bench before game one, and it just seems to me maybe to be a little bit overthinking. Obviously, I understand that Kawhi Leonard has been playing better as well as anyone in the NBA, but it just seems to start out that way uh, maybe you know, a, a curious move. Okay, so along those lines, usually playoff adjustments are a big deal from series to series. And uh, from games one to game two, what do you think uh, you know, the Suns and, and you know, specifically Monty Williams need to do differently in game two? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, so much about personnel adjustments, but they definitely need to find a way to you know, match the energy, and, and you know, it, it was ridiculous there at the end. They had, they positioned themselves to win. They, they overcame that slow start that we talked about. They were down 16. Um, you know, they took control. I mean, really, we didn't even, I haven't even mentioned it, but, you know, going up nine at the end of the third quarter, that was their moment to really kind of, uh, you know, take control of that game. And, you know, with the reserves on the floor, you know, they gave it all back. And going into the fourth quarter, it was even. And then, you know, just that last stretch without being able to grab a defensive rebound uh, killer in the playoffs. You can't just keep giving teams extra possessions like that, uh, especially a team with, with stars like Kawhi Leonard 
and, and Westbrook, even though he wasn't playing well, um, uh, shooting the ball anyway. But they got to find a way to, 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 to fix that. If not, they're going to have a real uh, a real problem, I think, uh, in these playoffs. You know, I don't know if, they, if you blame it all on DeAndre Aiden. I know a lot of people do like to blame it on DeAndre Aiden. There was a rebound where it felt like he maybe could have secured the ball better uh, in that sequence with two hands that Russell Westbrook knocked away. But they have to figure that out. And then I don't know if they go back uh, to Josh Okoji. But um, I, I just felt like, you know, Russell Westbrook's energy, the Suns could not match. I mean, they just didn't have a guy on the floor that can match his energy. And as you mentioned, deflections, uh, hustle plays, loose balls. I mean, rebounds. Whenever there was a play to be made in that fourth quarter, he made it. Josh has been a guy who could maybe do that. Uh, so do you go back with him and, and see what happens with him on the floor a little bit more? Kevin Durant's stat line after the rough start where he didn't score in the first quarter, 27 points, 7 to 15 shooting, 11 assists, 9 rebounds. That's a fine stat line. But when you're looking at what you gave up and bringing Kevin Durant here, the expectations, I guess a two-part question here, do the Suns need more? And then also, doesn't he need the ball in his hands at the end of the game? Like when you're down uh, three, the ball should be going to Kevin Durant. Yeah, I mean, I would think that's why you get a player of his caliber. Uh, I mean, he's, he's a tremendous clutch player. Uh, and, you know, even in the fourth quarter, uh, it, it, I think it's getting a little bit overblown, but I think he did, uh, what, he had 10 points in the fourth quarter. But when it comes down to it, uh, with the game on the line, you need you need Kevin Durant and Devin Booker making the plays. And uh, it was a little strange that they didn't go to him, or at least he, I mean, he moved the ball. I mean, what do you have, 10 assists? So, it's, it, he made the right. He made basketball plays, but I think at some point you need to have him force his hand a little bit. And you know, maybe that's just the fact that he's you know still what just a few months into this with the, with his new teammates. I don't know, but I think that'll probably change here going forward. Now, you know, when you have a player at his caliber, you have to take advantage of it, especially in those moments. That's what he does. Um, but yeah, it was just you know they they had chances. I mean, they they had three chances when they were down one. I think to take the lead in, the, in that fourth quarter. Um, Chris Paul missed two shots, DeAndre Aiden missed, and they were all good, decent looks. They just missed it. Um, you know, sometimes that happens in the playoffs, but I do think even though with the rough start, um, you know, with giving up the lead, they still positioned themselves to win and just couldn't couldn't get it done. And, and you know, at home, I think that's the most concerning part. You know, I, some people have said that, you know, the Clippers now, they got, they got one, that's all they're – focus with and, and the Suns may be primed for a, a big win in game two. I'm not so sure about that. I think the Clippers have to, with Paul George out, uh, have to every game go out and try to win. And you know, I don't know if this is going to be a, an easy series for the Suns. Yeah, especially as you you know you, you pointed out, or you know your colleague also pointed out the athletic story that uh, you know the offensive rebounding, uh, you know, 15 to six edge on the offensive glass and second chance points. I don't know if that changes a lot from game to game in the playoff series. You know, it's, there's some effort involved there, but it might be a lot of skill involved there too from the Clippers. Well, when you're talking about those extra shots or the offensive rebounds, that's ten extra possessions. Um, and that, that I mean, Kevin Durant said it simply. He said, "You you, don't, you can't win like that. That's hard to overcome." And you know, offensive rebounding, rebounding in general, but especially offensive rebounding, is kind of a, a one-two. It's an attitude. Uh, I think you saw from Chris Paul last night. He, uh, what did he grab? 11 rebounds. Uh, made a great play, grabbing it off at the rebound and then passing it between a defender's legs to uh, Torrey Craig for a shot. But, you know, they need, they did that all the way around, uh, particularly DeAndre Aiden. 
um, you know, that's that's what he's paid for, and that's what that's the presence he needs to be. So, yeah, if they don't get that fixed, uh, they're going to have a hard time. Uh, you know, Kawhi Leonard's playing at the top of his game. Uh, I don't see Russell Westbrook all of a sudden getting tired, uh, and the Clippers bench is superior than the Suns. So, uh, I think if anybody thinks that the Clippers are going to be satisfied going into Game Two, they're going themselves. Doug Howler of The Athletic right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the extra points. So when we do flip this to Tuesday, does it simply just come down to matching energy and hitting some open looks and also maybe trying to scheme up uh, the playmakers to be the ones making shots? Torrey Craig was the one that was being forced into the open shots in the first quarter there, trying to figure out how to get the ball more so in Kevin Durant and Devin Booker's hands. For sure. And, you know, I think they need to – Definitely get off to a better start. Not not dig, try to dig themselves out of the hole for the entire game. You know, one of their, uh, you know, when you're playing in the playoffs at home in Phoenix, downtown Phoenix, the Footprint Center, the environment is great. I mean, it's a great home atmosphere. And for most of that first half, just about all of it, after the the first few minutes, you know, it was, it was <laughs> kind of they were just kind of waiting for the moment to to really get loud, and it took a while. So the sooner you can get the crowd into it, I think helps. But, yeah, when it comes down to it, if, if Torrey Craig and the Suns do, they, they play great basketball. They're going to hit the open man every time. And, you know, Torrey Craig, to his credit last night, he hit open shots. But at, at some point, I don't know if they can win with Torrey Craig, you know, scoring 20-plus points. You know, they're going to need uh, their, their main guys, and I include Chris Paul in this, to, to step up and really uh, take, take charge. Campaign. Uh, I'm not the biggest campaign fan, but I can certainly understand his value. If he's scoring points, is a very valuable player on this team. The fact he didn't play, do we know what his status might be moving forward in the series and specifically for game two? No, they've been kind of quiet on that, as you can imagine. Uh, just you know, just being out there at practice every day last week, I, I know that you know when the media is allowed in toward the end of practice and guys are getting up shots, he was not out there. I mean, he was in, you could see him like working in the weight room beyond the practice court, but he was not out there until Saturday. So it, I think we all had kind of an idea that he was probably not going to play in game one. Uh, but, you know, as far as his availability for game two, I'm not sure. But I do I do agree with you. You know, he can be, you know, sometimes hit or miss. But I will say about, about campaign is that there are times when he comes in with that second unit and he does provide that spark and he does provide that energy that they were lacking last night. So I think his return, if he's if that back injury is, uh, you know, if he's 100% with that, I, I do think that would be a positive, and, you know, because the way the bench looked last night, uh, you know, they, they need a boost, and he, I think he could probably provide one. We have a poll question here today. How would you rank the Suns' panic meter after game one, uh, losing to the Clippers high, moderate, or low? What side would you be on? I, I, I would – it's game one. It's, it's the playoff series. It's game – you know, it can go seven games, but I, w- I would say moderate. Uh, I didn't think, I know there were a lot of people who were, a lot of smart people, uh, were saying that the, the Suns would win in five. I, I didn't feel that confident that they would have that easy of a time just because of, like I mentioned, the sample size was not great. Uh, and even in the games that, you know, some of the games that they played uh, against San Antonio, against Denver, minus, uh, what, four starters the first night, you know, when they had like 25 plus point leads, they gave a lot of it back. And I know some of that's the NBA, but you know, during that time, you know, the Suns had their starters out there, and that was kind of a red flag. So, you know, I, I thought that this would be a very challenging series, and if Paul George could would come back at the end, it, you know, it could possibly go seven. But 
you know, I felt like the Suns would win just because of Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. But, you know, I would say moderate. I would say not so much because of the loss, but because of how they lost. Uh, just the slow start, the lack of energy, and not being able to get, you know, a defensive rebound during the key moments when just one may have won the game for them. Okay, Doug, I got one more quick thing here. I watched the ASU spring football game on Saturday, and I kept thinking to myself, you know, am I learning anything from this? Uh, should I have learned anything from that? <laughs> I have not learned one thing from this spring football game in a long, long time. Uh, yeah, it's just kind of, you know, the way it's changed, and no one wants to give out secrets these days, particularly with a new coach. They don't show a whole lot. Uh, but the thing that was interesting to me, Bob, and I, was, I want to do that. I was not out there. I was at Suns practice at that time. But, you know, I have seen videos I've, I've read. And the, the most interesting thing to me about ASU football right now is Kenny Dillingham is not just coaching ASU football. He's, he's coaching the Valley. He's trying to, you know, get – I know you've heard Activate the Valley, but he's trying to kind of get that fan base to say, hey, look, you know, if we're, if we're going to go to this next level, you have to be a part of it. And that, that is true. I mean, the game day atmosphere, spring game atmosphere – that plays such a huge part in recruiting and for Arizona State really to elevate itself as a program. You know, there needs to be more fan interest. There needs to be more passion. There needs to be, uh, you know, more people there for events like that. And I, I've really uh, been interested in how Kenny Dillingham has, has kind of taken that approach. Um, you know, I saw a lot of empty seats at the spring game. I, I expect a lot of empty seats. He said he wanted 40,000 uh, fans, someone should have told him that that was not going to happen. But uh, that's going to be a process, and I think that's going to be the most interesting thing because you have, you're trying for the first time to bring one of your own back, young, enthusiastic, energetic, uh, all about ASU football, but, you know, igniting the fan base, especially coming off the last couple of years, I think is going to be really difficult. Doug, as always, we appreciate your time, and we look forward to chatting some more sons with you down the road. All right, I appreciate you having me. Thank you. Once again, he is Doug Haller there with The Athletic, and the Suns will play game two against the Clippers on Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Uh, you can also catch the local call, Valley Sports Arizona. On the other side, we will take your calls, 602-260-1060. If you'd like to join the program, give your thoughts on Suns Game 1. In addition to that, we'll dive into the Arizona Diamondbacks. They... Uh, well, they got the Sunday game uh, against the Marlins. Zach Gallen on the mound. We'll dive into what went wrong in Friday and Saturday's games and then Gallen's tremendous performance uh, uh, on Sunday as well. But if you'd like to join the program, you can. 602-260-1060 is the number, and we'll get to you on the other side of the break. It is the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com, and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. The Dan Patrick Show, weekday mornings from 6 to 9 a.m. This is just uh, something I like to call breakfast. With big-name guests, timely sports information, and more on KTUS AM 1060. Thanks to Doug Haller of The Athletic for his time on the program. If you missed any of the conversation involving the Phoenix Suns game one loss to the Clippers, looking ahead to game two Tuesday night, adjustments to be made. You can always podcast over at KDOS1060.com as well as with the KDOS1060 app 
or Apple and Spotify for your podcasting pleasure. As we do, 602-260-1060 is the number if you'd like to hop aboard. Let's get into some Arizona Diamondbacks, though. They had a, a road trip. They were off to Miami, and Friday's contest didn't go great. Madison Bumgarner got the start. The Diamondbacks lost 5-1. to one. As for Mad Bum himself, five innings pitched, nine hits, five runs, one walk, and just one strikeout in the contest. Very strange. He only needed 24 pitches to get through three shutout innings to start with, and then second time around the lineup, he got crushed. Gave up five runs and six hits in the fourth inning. Once I mentioned, once again, I mentioned that's the second time the Marlins lineup went through things, and we talked on Friday that the Marlins had scored nine fewer runs or eight fewer runs, eight fewer runs than anybody in the National League before that game which is why I think that the Diamondbacks readjusted their starting rotation and figured, hey, if we can ever get something out of Bumgarner, uh, we can have him pitch against the Marlins in Miami. Well, that didn't work out. This was just unfortunately yet another example of why Bumgarner, if he actually remains on the roster, and I have no indication that they're just going to eat the money and let him go, but if he's on the roster and they care about winning games, he should be just basically a long relief pitcher and mop-up roles. Now, Saturday night was a whole different deal. I mean, they led and Scott McGuff came in once again in the eighth inning. The Diamondbacks led 2-1. to one. He retired one of four hitters, and the Diamondbacks were trailing 3-2 to two when Toro Lovello finally got him out of there. McGuff's allowed at least one run in three of his five last five outings. Uh, he's given up a lot of home runs too. It, it wasn't a big thing on, uh, you know, part of the game, part of the issue on Saturday. But yeah, he, I, I'm tired of hearing this crap that he's having a difficult time adjusting to the baseball, which I kind of I understand because he pitched in Japan and the baseball is much different than it is here. But you know that's what you need to work out during spring training. That excuse doesn't fly anymore when the games are actually counting. Uh, so those were the bad things on Saturday, uh, Friday and Saturday. The Sunday was great. Zach Gallen was a tremendous outpitch. The reigning Cy Young Award winner, Sandy Alcantara. Uh, Gallen now, you know, last week, he probably wishes you know, last week would never end. Uh, two starts last week. He was unscored upon in 13 and two-thirds innings. He only, he only allowed five hits and didn't walk anybody in those 13 and uh, two-thirds innings and struck out 18. So he was tremendous. Just other two other quick things from the weekend uh, observations here. Uh, Corbin Carroll, remember, I remember mentioned last week that I was shocked that he hit that opposite field home run here against the Brewers. You know, opposite field, that was very impressive. Maybe I shouldn't have been surprised because on Sunday, he had a home run to dead center field in Miami, which is a huge ballpark, off of Alcantara, and you know, he crushed it. So maybe I shouldn't have been shocked. And I I don't remember if I mentioned this on the air or just uh, off the air to a couple of uh, baseball friends of mine. But, uh, you know, the Carroll opposite field home run got my attention. And it was even, it was, I listened to a baseball, I listened to several baseball podcasts, but I listened to one baseball podcast last week where they actually started with the Corbin Carroll opposite field home run against the Brewers last week and wondered if the ball was juiced. And I thought the same thing at the same time. But after watching Carroll yesterday just kill it and crush that ball off Alcantara, 
uh, he's got more low power than I thought he had. So there, good for him. Uh, now, the other observation I have here, just from not necessarily this past weekend, but from the season so far, Nick Ahmed still a tremendous defensive player. If he continues to hit, yeah, continues to hit. Excuse me. They should trade him. There are several contending teams that have some shortstop issues out there, whether it be injuries or any a few other things. But if I'm Mike Hazen, Diamondbacks general manager, I'm calling Atlanta like first because they, they they pretty much have everything. But I think a shortstop they have a shortstop situation going on there. But uh, I wouldn't even wait for the trade deadline. If you could get something for Ahmed now, uh, go ahead. You probably couldn't get as much if you waited. But then again, he may not be hitting like he's hit so far this season. And he's uh, you know, come through in some clutch spots for them so far. And I think he's a very, very tradable commodity for the Diamondbacks. And no matter whether you think the Diamondbacks are going to go over the 75 wins or whether they're a playoff contender or whatever, it doesn't seem as if Nick Ahmed's going to be part of the future. They've got shortstops in the system, et cetera. Uh, and uh, so this, I, I wouldn't have a problem if they moved him again, like now because uh, I think that uh, his stock is pretty high right now, the way that, you know, he still plays defense. And if he goes to a contending team, you could assume that that contending team already has enough offense to be okay. And if he doesn't hit for them, that's okay. He's still going to play great defense. Yeah, and so Nick, I'm o- done. okay, <laughs> Nick Ahmed uh, on the season here so far. His batting average is three twenty four. He has eleven hits as well as four RBIs uh, on the season here so far. And Corbin Carroll, he's fun. He's just fun. He's so fast on the bases. Uh, he also now is trying to, you know, get a full season with the major leagues here as he was called up, you know, uh, whenever he was called up last last season here. So now this is the first full go at it. So there's going to be some ebbs and flows. But he has eight RBIs, uh, 17 hits on the season, 15 strikeouts. So he is leading the team in strikeouts. But overall, I think he's a fun player. And this is certainly going to be uh, a lot of fun as a Diamondbacks uh, viewer to watch him mature and grow into the game. Yeah, and he was the number one prospect according to a lot of the uh, you know prospect uh, people that you know know the minor leagues far better than I do. Uh, he's certainly again you know they signed him to a long term deal before the season, and I know there were some questions about that from some at the time. Uh, that seems to be a wise investment at this point. I will say one thing. Is that his? Yeah, the Marlins took a couple extra bases on his throwing arm over the weekend, and I'm guessing that uh, that's going to continue. Um, not the greatest uh, thrower from the outfield, and uh, I think that Carroll's future in the outfield is going to be as a left fielder. Certainly, yeah, if he was playing right field, which he did some at the end of last year when he came up originally, but uh, teams can go first to third on him pretty easily. And the Marlins even went from home to second on him at least once, and I think first to third, if I'm not, if I remember correctly. So you know that's the one area of his not, not quite a five-tool guy because he doesn't have the throwing arm that uh, you sometimes expect out of guys that you know, certainly have the five-tool thing going for them. 
The Diamondbacks road trip continues. They're in St. Louis taking on the Cardinals today. Merrill Kelly on the mound against Jack Flaherty. First pitch, 445 on Bally Sports, Arizona. Uh, when it comes, the Cardinals, are, by the way, are a mess. I mean, they've got some. They got significant issues starting with their manager, Ali Marmol, and uh, already talking about him having some problems with his team and uh, the Tyler O'Neill situation from a couple of weeks ago. That might be having a uh, you know kind of a uh, you know it, you know, it spilled over possibly. It maybe it might be overreaction two and a half weeks into the season, but. Uh, he looks like he might be in over his head a little bit. I know they won the division with him last year as a first-year manager, but uh, you know, I think there's there's problems in St. Louis, and it's not just all starting pitching issues. That they seem to be kind of a dysfunctional unit, which rarely have I ever said about a St. Louis Cardinals baseball team over like literally 50 years. That's almost never said. In the NL West, the Diamondbacks sit atop of the board right now at nine and seven. The Dodgers are eight and eight. The Padres eight and nine. Giants five and nine. Rockies five and eleven. The Padres though face the Braves tonight, who get Max Freed on the mound, who is right. returning from the injured list. Yeah, the Braves are getting healthier. Uh, you know, still, Iglesias hasn't come back yet, and you know they still got Mike Soroka is you know, not back. Kyle Wright has returned. Yeah, Freed is coming back uh, tonight as scheduled. That certainly helps. And uh, the fact that they have the Braves have such a good record, I don't know. I think they've I think they've unofficially mathematically clinched the uh, National League East uh, two weeks into the season. Uh, yeah, I, the other teams in that division, Mets and the, the Phillies, obviously have injury issues of their own. But you know the Braves. I, I assume that if you're a National League fan or a you know, team in the National League. They're kind of going, how the hell are the Braves winning all these games? They're shorthanded. They haven't had their anything close to their whole team so far, and they're basically dominating teams. Now, they haven't played the greatest schedule either. It's not like Tampa Bay, though, who played the dregs of the world the first three series of the season. But, uh, you know, the Braves are off to a really nice start, and, uh, you know, I think that uh, they should be favored to win the National League, and I actually kind of kind – of I actually thought that before the season, but the fact that they've made it through these first 16 or so games uh, shorthanded is impressive. You mentioned the Rays. They started 13-0, but they fell to the Blue Jays in back-to-back games, but they won Sunday's contest, so they're now at 14-2 to start the season, but they didn't break the uh, 19 or 1884 record with the St. Louis Maroons. We'll wrap up Extra Point of hour number one next. Catch the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. right here on KDUS AM 1060 and online at KDUS1060.com. number one of Extra Point on this Monday, April 17th. Bob Camp, Kayla Mortolaro with you. Up until noon today, as we typically do, Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, we were oh so close at the RBC Heritage. Matt Fitzpatrick ended up outlasting Jordan Spieth in a three-hole playoff to claim victory. Our guy, Patrick Cantlay, he finished one back of making the playoff. Uh... Very disappointing, though. There was a, a pivotal par three. Jordan Spieth had gone first, and Pat, uh, 
Patrick Cantlay watched him chip the ball well past the hole. Then it was Patrick Cantlay's turn, and he chipped it even further past the hole, almost going into the water. Uh, I don't know what they're technically called, but one of the planks or the wood boards that hold things up surrounding the, the lake stopped his ball from going in the water. He ended up making bogey and ultimately was just a little bit too far behind to make up some ground. But uh, we were oh so close to getting two and a row there on the PGA Tour. When it comes down to it, though, uh, the tour will turn its attention to a fun event and might be even more challenging to figure out how to handicap because it's the Zurich Classic, which is a team event this week. Uh, Matt Fitzpatrick, the the winner of the RBC Heritage, he'll be playing with his brother Alex. Xander Shoffley and Patrick Cantlay will be playing there, the defending champions, and Colin Morikawa and Max Homa. Some California kids will be teeing it up as well well so we'll look to figure all of that out on Wednesday when it comes to the Arizona Cardinals we'll be getting into this much more uh, later on in hour number two but Adam Schefter reported Friday afternoon that Buda Baker wants a trade source said Baker told Cardinals back in February that he wanted to be traded or receive a new deal to become the highest paid safety here are some numbers Baker is owed 13.1 million this year 14.2 million in 2024 from his four-year $59 million extension back in 2020. That made him the highest paid safety at the time. But Bob, do you remember Monty Ossenfort's introductory press conference? He had said that Buddha represented everything he wants in this organization, everything he wants this organization to be. He also told a story about his time interviewing Buddha Baker when he was with the New England Patriots at the uh, scouting combine. And said after talking with 20 minutes to Buda Baker, he was ready to run through a wall for Buda. So this is now okay. an in, just a little bit of a tidbit of something that was said, oh, just a couple of months ago. Okay. Well, the Cardinals today have signed Jeff Driscoll, who's a real mediocre journeyman quarterback. So I'm sure that'll change Buda's mind. He was with the Texans last year, right? I've lost track of Jeff Griscoll since he started his career in college in Florida, I think. Hour number two of Extra Point is coming up next.